Hello, and welcome to the Bench to Boardroom podcast. I am your host, Cynthia Steele, and today's conversation is with my friend, Dr. Jacqueline Duvall, who is currently a GMP project manager at the Duke Vaccine Institute. Jacqueline has a PhD in chemistry from the University of Virginia, and uh, her dissertation work was largely revolving around microfluidics. And as you'll hear, she feels like that doesn't really make her a bona fide chemistry major, whatever that means, but um, it's still a really, really fascinating line of work. A number of her colleagues went off to pursue careers in the Department of Defense or in forensics because microfluidics apparently is used in those fields. I had no idea. But she instead went on to use her abilities in chemistry and in microfluidics to get her first job at a company called Cell Microsystems. She moved on to a company called Powered Research, which is where I met her. And during that time, Jacqueline got a project management certificate. So she is officially a project management professional or a PMP. And you'll hear her talk about why she got that certification, what the process was like, and what kind of career paths that has opened up for her uh, since receiving that certification, and what kind of career paths that opens up for others who are interested in that same kind of certification. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Jacqueline Duvall. Dr. Jacqueline Duvall, welcome to the Bench to Boardroom podcast. Hi, how are you? Good, good to see you. Good to see you too, Cynthia. So we worked together a few years ago when I was working at a, um, a small startup biotech drug discovery company, and you were working at one of our CROs, right? That's right. Yes, we did. Uh, we worked together a little bit. Yes, and I, I feel like you were one of the people that always responded really promptly when I, I I liked to affectionately at the time think of my job as kind of nagging our clients to respond to our requests. And you always responded in a very prompt manner. And I always enjoyed working with you for that exact reason, because you were prompt and you were friendly. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. You know, I think um, it's funny when you're doing things with a, with a large group, you know, like bench research, and we'll get into it, but like bench research, you're used to doing things on your own. You know, there's like your time at the bench and your resources and your reagents and everything. But when you're working with a group, you forget like, you know, I need to update people as we go along. I need to make sure mm -hmm. to let people know what, uh, what I'm thinking and where my head is at because they, they're in a totally different state. They don't know. Uh, they can't read my mind. You can't read my mind. That's wild. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know you or don't have the delight of knowing you yet, uh, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Jacqueline Duval, um, and my background, I guess, um, my PhD is in chemistry from the University of Virginia. So I went to UVA for undergrad and grad school with a little bit of time off in between um, to have a little bit of fun before I went back for grad school. Um, and I currently work at Duke University. So I'm at the Duke Human Vaccine Institute uh, here in Durham, North Carolina, and I work as a project manager um, and program scientific program leader in a few different capacities within the Vaccine Institute or DHVI is, is what we call it 
internally, but um, that's that's where I am now. Awesome. And what was your PhD in? My PhD was in chemistry, technically, um, although I've I've never really felt truly like a chemist. So I don't think that my PhD it's it wasn't a typical my lab my PI's lab was not a typical chemistry lab in the way that most folks think about a chemistry lab. Um, so the lab that I worked in, we focused more on microfluidic device development and point of care diagnostics. So technically chemistry, but again, like I just don't really think I've ever, um, I feel like a chemistry imposter. So but were you one of those people who understood where the electrons went and you could imagine the carbon <laughs> going into the board? Because I was never one of those people, I couldn't do it. I can say I'm one of those people who at least attempted to understand where they went. Yeah, whether or not I always did, yeah, it's hard to say, but. <laughs> I feel like I still sometimes have nightmares that I'm back in organic chemistry and, you know, yes. how does a primary alcohol interact with this molecule? And I'm like, I don't know. Why do I need to have this memorized? Yes, exactly. So that is not my that is not my type of chemistry. Um, my husband is an organic chemist or was in a previous life, oh. and he likes to give me a hard time about being a chemistry imposter. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, I know. Oh my god, it's true. That, that's hilarious. Wow, I don't think I've ever thought about uh, having two scientists in the house, kind of like you know, playfully duking it out. For, yeah, you're not a real chemist, but you're. Yeah, I know yeah. it's be a fly on the wall. So that means your your daughters are going to be artists, right? Since both of you are probably just to irk mom and dad, yeah, right. they're going to yeah be artists or something else. Um, yeah, that we totally don't understand, but we'll support it no matter so, what. Yeah. So microfluidics, um, like the only thing I know about microfluidics is I watched the dropout and I read the book and, you know, Elizabeth Holmes was talking about microfluidics. So what, yeah. what, what, what can like describe that a little bit more to me, just out of my own personal curiosity? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a, this is going to sound crazy, but, and I am going to butcher who the artist is, but there's a song, maybe it's. Kanye West. I don't know who it is, but it's like bigger, faster, stronger, better. That's what we used to kind of, that was the joke in our lab in grad school. So microfluidics is to make everything smaller, faster, less expensive, you know, uh, I think I already said faster, smaller, faster, you know, cheaper and done, you know, in a, in a portable manner. Right. So the, the idea being let's take all of these cumbersome techniques or assays or things that normally take up hours and hours of a technician's time and they take, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment to maintain and use. Let's shrink everything down and we'll do it on a micro scale on a device that's the size of what, you know, your thumb maybe and um, get an answer in five minutes instead of five days. That's kind of the, you know, the driving force behind all of it. So in our lab specifically, um, we were working on point of care diagnostics for a wide range of applications. So the, the two that I touched on the most as a grad student were infectious, um, you know, pathogen detection. And then we had a big, um, a big project with the um, Department of Defense to work on human identification. So we had a big 
a big push on sort of forensic human identification. Wow, wow that's yeah. really cool. So a unique, like that's why I say it wasn't, you know, truly chemistry in that sense, but that almost a mix of chemistry, biomedical engineering, kind of just a mashup of lots of things. Wow. Did you have colleagues yeah. that ended up going to work in forensics or in the DOD or anything like that? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, I would say about half of the lab had a pretty strong either forensic background or interest in forensics. That was never really my passion. I, you know, I enjoyed the bit of it that I learned about in my time as a grad student, yeah. and I enjoyed the the application. But it, as a field, it wasn't necessarily my passion. But there were a lot of folks in our lab that went on to um, really cool. do things in forensics. Mm -hmm. That yeah. was at the University of Virginia, right? That's yes. Really cool. Yep. Very cool. So while you're doing all of this, and I imagine, and I look to ask every one of my guests this, but on your most frustrating days, what was your just give it all up, throw it all away, and run off, run off job? What was your fantasy job? Oh, I spent so much time thinking about that in grad school. I think we all do. Um, <laughs> so that's a great question. So I think my answer now is probably the same as it was. 10 years ago when I was in grad school. And that is my best friend from grad school. He and I were going to open a sandwich shop and we were gonna have foo-foo sandwiches and craft beer and maybe coffee. And it was just gonna be kind of a cozy little nook somewhere. Um, and I would run it and be the creative brains behind it. And I would just have a simple existence. Not that, you know, not that that's a simple existence. And there are a lot of folks that do that. It's obviously everything's more complicated than meets the eye. But at the time that felt like the most far removed path from what I was doing at the time that that seemed so appealing to I me. I couldn't agree more. And what's really funny is that everyone that I've, I've talked to so far, with the exception of one person offline, um, everyone has had something with regards to either baking or making coffee or making sandwiches, you know? Like yeah. Is it? That's crazy. It, it, I think there's something about yeah. scientists love to make and do with their hands, right? I mean, I think there's something to be said for creating something and knowing the end result. Whereas when you're in grad school and you're doing research, you never know the end result. And nine times out of 10, if you're lucky, it, you know, what, it never works, right? It never works. And so it's the idea of having something where you know the outcome and you know it's going to work every time, I think is really appealing in those moments of just intense, nothing ever works. And I've been, you know, bashing this problem for two years and I'm still at the same place I was two years ago. That is so frustrating to stay, stay on track and stay interested and engaged in solving this problem when it just feels like maybe it isn't solvable. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why nobody has solved yeah. it yet. Maybe it's not solvable. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's funny yeah. that you say that because as you were talking, I said, you know, she, you know, she's right. Because if you do something wrong in your assay, then the result is, is, is buckus. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you, you did something wrong. You cannot trust that result. But you yeah. add too much mayo to a sandwich, you might actually make it better. Exactly. You have to substitute a meat for another meat or a veggie for another veggie, and it's still okay. Yes, it's not a make or break. Thing. Yeah, you're not going to lose funding. You're not going to, exactly. you know, get. Yeah, exactly. it's all it's all okay. I think yeah, the the stakes are lower. Yes, 
or at least it seems like that from an ignorant outsider. Exactly. I can never run a sandwich store. I'm sure there's more to it. I'm but, sure someone know. someday will write in the comments, you know, hey, I run a sandwich shop and I am there at four in the it's morning. Very and very <laughs> we understand. We're just saying from an outsider. I apologize to that person. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I, quick, to, uh, quick correction. Sarah Sarkey did say that she wanted to be a dog groomer. So that was another. Oh, okay. But still, that falls into the same doing with your hands and sure. being able to control the outcome. Yes. But yes. everybody else, uh, my, my first interview, Alicia Case and I, we were going to open a cupcake shop. That was going to be very cool. Okay, there you go. Because we used to go yeah. to these meetings and we would play hooky in the afternoon when our brains were just too full, you know, and we would go to come on some kind of schmancy cupcake shop and pay way too much money for like a red velvet, you know, <laughs> and like a cup of coffee. And we would just sit and it was just very nice and it was peaceful and everyone came mm -hmm. in and they left happy and i was like yes, yes. why can't that's like, what i like want this yeah. yes this feels amazing right? it's such a it's a, yeah it's just such a departure from your everyday life truly. when you're a grad student truly and i love to ask yeah. that question because i want to make sure that our, our listeners understand that even those of us who stayed in science and we, we made it through and we went on to be successful in our careers we all had that fantasy of just giving it all up and running and still do sometimes yeah <laughs> still do sometimes <laughs> so we yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so then when did you decide you wanted to go into industry or was that always something that you had in mind i think um i should say that if you believe it i i sort of went to grad school on a lark i on a whim i uh just sort of thought, well, I graduated from college in 2010, which was a, you know, eight, nine and 10 were terrible years to graduate from college. The economy was coming out of the recession. It just wasn't a great time to be a new, fresh faced college grad. And I just kind of didn't see a path for anything that looked interesting to me at the ripe young age of what, 22. And so I left for a few years and I moved to Boulder and had a lot of fun and then decided after two years, I should probably use my brain and get back into doing something constructive with my life. And so I applied to grad school and I went. So I don't think academia was ever something I maybe even considered mm -hmm. as a path, okay. even you know before grad school or during grad school. And then if it had been something that I had considered, I think I would have changed my mind pretty quickly after starting grad school, just because my interest is and always has been more in the direct application of the science. I'm not interested in solving problems or answering questions just for the sake of solving problems or answering questions. I wanna see it applied and used in a tangible way. Um, and that's something that I felt like only industry could satisfy was, you know, getting to see the direct application of, of my work. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So you didn't want to do research just for the sake of research. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be in industry and see how it was gonna, you know, what is this device going to be used for? Who is it helping? Who's going to be buying it? Who's, you know, what's our end goal here? And I think industry gets you a little bit closer 
to answering those questions. Do you think taking the two years off or those three years off helped you get that perspective? I'm not sure that it helped me get perspective in that regard. I think it was a, a wonderful time in my life and I think it helped me get perspective on other sure. things, but um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I only ask because, you know, as, as a senior in college, I worked in a lab and um, my the summer after my sophomore and my junior year, I worked in a lab and slicing brains and, you know, do uh, staining tissue and counting BRDU positive neurons and things like that, you know? And so I was always, I was always in the lab and I was always surrounded by the academic types. And so I got to see what their life was like and work with their grad students. And, you know, so in my mind, that's what I was going to do because mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm the type of person who I need to see examples of something before yeah. I know if that's something that I want to pursue. And in large part, that's why I started this podcast is because I wanted to show other people what their other options are after graduation. I love that. So that's why I ask if taking a couple of years off and being, you know, around quote unquote real people and not academic mm -hmm. types, you know, if, if that maybe helped. Yeah. So I was just curious. That's, no, that's a great question. I've, and I've never really thought about it in that context before. Um, I am honestly not sure I ever would have gone to grad school if I had worked in a lab as an undergrad and gotten that experience just because I think I would have seen the day-to-day -day tedium and yeah, just failure after failure after failure, even when you're doing really good science, 90% of it at least is failing, right? That science is learning how to fail gracefully on a good day. And I'm not sure I ever would have- That's brutal thought I can, I can hack it in grad school if I had gotten that experience. So in some ways I'm grateful that I didn't because I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It's not for the faint of heart, right? I mean, everybody that's been in grad school knows that. It is not for the faint of heart. And in fact, I wonder if that's sometimes why I am as persistent as I am or kind of go with the flow as I am because, you know, oh, another Western didn't work or, oh, another experiment, you know, but I did everything in cell culture. So for me, it wasn't, you know, months of animal work and injuries and traces and, you know, behavioral analysis and all these other things. You know, I mean, for me, I, I grew the cells on Monday, lysed them on Friday. And then by the middle of next week, my, my Western and my PCRs were done and I knew what happened. So it was, it yeah. was a much quicker turnaround. And so now it's funny, you're with your microfluidics uh, background, you're probably thinking about a very quick turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Okay, because I was wondering if you were thinking like, oh, that's uh that's long for uh for microfluidics, but that, yes, so what you just described. Hmm. Oops. Hold on, my screen just went black. Oh, okay. I can still see you. You can see oh, me? I can see you. I can move. It's just that my camera's on. Hold on, let's see. Why is my screen black? Yeah. You mean now? Yeah. I mean, again, I could always tell you. So is, is it weird? You can't, you, you can't see yourself. Is it, is it going to be awkward? Actually, I kind of, I think I might be, I think I maybe prefer it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, um, it's kind of okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as long as you, yeah, you can hear me fine and you can see me fine, then we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, right. what we were talking about before, um, Oh yeah, I, I mentioned uh, microfluidics, and we were talking about how um, I could get results on because uh, we were talking about yeah, just like 
failure and failure and failure. And I said how yeah. um, one, um, like I could get my results from like Monday, uh, grew my cells on Monday, life on Friday, and by the middle of next week, everything was done. And I said, you know, with microfluidics, that was probably sounds kind of slow. So we'll, yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll try to get from there. Okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think so that's maybe one advantage of being in a microfluidics lab is that you fail pretty quickly. Um, you fail often because you're failing on a much quicker turnaround time. Um, but it is at least, you know, you're, you're not sort of laboring for weeks or months until you get a, a discouraging result. You're getting it over and over and over and over and over again on a daily basis. So, yeah. That sounds brutal in its own way, though. <laughs> it does. I, I described it terribly. I hope I don't discourage anybody from going into microfluidics. It's a real <laughs> or science in general. Maybe I'm having a microfluidics. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think that I think really strongly that one of the biggest skill sets anybody comes out of a graduate program with is is their comfort with failure, right? Exactly like you said. And I think most scientists or former scientists or, you know, however they want to categorize themselves would say that that prepared them really well for the quote unquote real world. And if you can adapt to that and you can learn to be persistent as a result, I think that that serves you really well in future endeavors. I can agree with that. Yeah. So. You always knew you wanted to go into industry, at least when you started graduate school. And yeah. your friends were getting jobs in, in the DOD and they were getting jobs in forensics, but your first job was at Cell Microsystems. So how yes. did how did that come about? That's a great question. So um, I finished up grad school and then moved down to um, the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, the Research Triangle area um, because my now husband got a postdoc in the area. And so we had decided that we wanted to move down here. We'd identified this area or Boston as being kind of our best bets in terms of both being scientists and finding jobs um, and places that we wanted to live. And so we moved down here and I started looking at companies in the area that did, you know, science that felt within my wheelhouse, I guess. And I came across Cell Microsystems and the, um, it's a spin-out company from UNC Chapel Hill, and one of the founders knew my PI, and so he had connected us kind of in a in a roundabout way, and I just reached out, and I think I honestly just got incredibly lucky. I had reached out to several other companies, and again, that goes back to the theme of failure. It, applying for jobs is always an exercise in handling rejection well, right? And so this one just happened to work out and I emailed them and I explained who I was and what my interest was. And I had, um, you know, I had just kind of laid it all on the table and, and sent the, um, the CEO an email and I got incredibly lucky that he responded and said, your background lines up weirdly well with a position that we're looking to fill, but it's, dependent upon, uh, you know, some grant funding that we're waiting to hear about. So we'll know in the next few months and it ended up working out. And I still to this day feel incredibly indebted to and grateful for 
my experience there and that they took a chance on me. I did not do a postdoc. I was coming right out of grad school, no postdoc, and they took a chance on me and it, and it worked out well. And I was there for three years and I loved it. It was an incredible place to have a first job. And I got so many experiences and had some really great mentors and it was just a, a perfect first step into industry, I think. Oh, that's great. That, that's, that's really great. So I assume your mentor in uh, grad school was amenable to his students, her students moving on to industry. Is that right? Yes. Very supportive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was supportive and um, I think understood that academia isn't for everyone. And even if it were everyone, everyone's interest, there aren't enough <laughs> positions to, you know, just the numbers don't work. Right. right, right. So he was supportive of, most of his students exactly. wanting to go on into industry. Yeah. So then um, what I'm hearing is that you essentially just like shot out an email to the CEO of this company and wow. That's bold. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I sometimes look back and I think to myself, man, I was so bold when I was, I don't know. It wasn't right. that long ago, but I, I, I think I, I'm decent at being bold when I need to be. Yeah. And I just, I mean, the, the stakes weren't, I mean, what did I have to lose at that point? So it was easy to be bold. I'm not, yeah. yeah I'm. You know, I, I love that attitude because I get asked the question a lot, you know, about uh, applying for jobs and I'm not sure if I'm a good fit. I'm not sure if this or that. And honestly, my answer is always like, well, I mean, if you, if you are interested, then just apply. You know, the, yeah. the only thing you have That's to lose is maybe a little bit of time that it takes to tweak your resume or, you know, convert your CV to a resume that's appropriate for that position or write a cover letter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's really not much to lose. And so this actually goes back to what we were talking about, the high risk environment in research. You know, yeah. you try and you try and yeah. you try and there's much bigger consequences in the lab Absolutely. versus I'm going to shoot an email to this guy. And the worst thing that happens is he either doesn't respond or he responds and, he says no. and says, don't waste my time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Right? And I won't, you know, I'll move on to the next one. And, and I, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, I, I've I, heard worse from my PhD mentor besides don't waste my time. So, I mean, like it would have pulled yeah. off my back completely. Yeah. So I, I think that that's another maybe really important thing that most folks do learn in grad school or, you know, at least that's the goal is to, yeah, what's the harm? I, I don't know. Go for it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think now you so you said you didn't do a postdoc. Um, That's right. Do you recommend people do a postdoc now? Like if you interview people, do you look for people with postdoc experience? No, I don't. Um, I, I have friends that have done both, you know, friends from grad school that have done both. Um, Actually, maybe that's not true. I think most of my friends did do a postdoc. A few did not. I So, you know, a, a healthy mix of both. But I think I just was itching to get out of academia as soon as I possibly could. Um, so for me, it was never a question. It was if there's a even a chance that I could land a job in industry without having to do a postdoc, done. I, I will relentlessly pursue whatever opportunities I can to you know, to make sure that that happens. So awesome. I would never look unfavorably okay. 
on a postdoc. And, you know, I think that's the more traditional path. Um, but again, I mean, I think if you know that you want to go into industry, I'm not sure what specific experience you're getting in your postdoc maybe that would be applicable. I, I mean, unless it's a, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it, it seems like um, maybe it varies too from position to position, but you know, it, it seems like the general yeah. consensus is a lot of jobs do want you to have postdoc experience. And in my interview with Julie Tetzloff, she said that uh, it can show uh, your ability to learn new things and acquire new skills and maybe relocate to another part of the country and it shows adaptability yeah, but yeah. i but but i but i think you're right jacqueline i mean if you know what you want then why not try to go for it right away well and i think you can show all of those things in your you know in wherever you land sure that's something that I think, you know, so being able to show, I'm always open to learning new skill sets and I'm always opening, open to, you know, expanding my, hold on, let me start again. Uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I, I think that as long as you are, whether you're in a postdoc or you're, you know, lucky enough to go straight into industry, if that's the path that you choose, I think, showing that you're open and willing to uh, learn new skill sets is always going to be valuable. So, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's unique to doing a postdoc, I guess. Yeah. And, and showing that you're very self-motivated, right? That seems to be a theme. Yeah. Everyone says yes. like, I, I, I need to see that you're a go-getter. I need to see that you, yeah. I don't need to micromanage you. You can just take a project and run with it. Yes. And show me enthusiasm. I want to see enthusiasm. Okay. All right. So now, um, speaking of, of projects, so you're on your LinkedIn page, uh, your credentials are you are a PhD and a PMP. So obviously, yes. uh, you're not, uh, you're not uh, putting on LinkedIn that you're a pimp. So what exactly? Is a PMP? <laughs> I'm sorry, my husband and I both saw that. But that, is the, that is the joke in our house as well. I always like to say that I am a pimp. Yes, so, I am yeah, a pimp. Right on yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a PMP? A PMP is a project management professional. So that's just the, you know, the acronym for the sort of um, professional accreditation that's recognized by the Project Management Institute or PMI. Okay. So yeah. as we talked about before we uh, jumped on um, and started recording, I actually had no idea what a project manager was until I worked with one. And yep. for my listeners, and even when I was in business school and people were talking about their project managers, and I'm thinking, what? there are people who do that? Because, <laughs> you know, yep. in research, it's, it's all you. You know, you are yep. the, usually you're the initiator, you're the manager, you follow it from start to finish. And um, the project manager who I worked with uh, in my previous company was really a phenomenal, phenomenal project manager. He, yep. he could see everything in a very stepwise fashion, you know, and this could be any project, right? Whether it's the writing of a manuscript or this, the initiation of a new process at work, you know, it's just any, anything that could be constituted as something new can have a project manager to kind of guide it through the steps. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So then, um, yeah. What, what else would you add to that? No, I think that's a, I think that's a really good way of describing it. I think it is, 
you're right that it's, you know, it's not a path that a lot of scientists are aware of, or at least I was not in grad school. And I had a similar experience where I wasn't really aware that such a thing existed until I worked with one. And I worked with a phenomenal project manager when I was in grad school. And that sort of opened my eyes to this whole other world of being involved in maybe not doing the science anymore. You're not doing the, the bench work, but being involved in the science and the scientific decisions that are being made, but also getting to sort of bring order to what can otherwise be a really chaotic process, right? I mean, again, depending on what type of project management you're going into, but that's what it all boils down to is bringing a, you know, a reliable cadence to the project such that everybody's pulling their weight and being held accountable to, you know, hit the milestones. And I think that's obviously so important with research and funding and learning how to, you know, stay on track and hold yourself and your teammates accountable. I, yeah. I... And it's interesting because, you know, as I've read about project management, you know, we, we unconsciously do a lot of those things, but this is a yes. much more formalized process. And I think it, it holds you as the project manager accountable to, as you say, make sure that you know who everyone that this is going to affect and you bring in the right people yeah. and you ask the right questions and, yeah. you know, everyone, you delegate appropriately and everyone's accountable for their own thing. I, I remember reading, you know, I, re I read through like the project managers, like manual or something like that. And it was, um, it was really eye opening to think, well, this is something that we do, but it, it, I guess in a way it's, it's much, it's a much more thoughtful way of going about it rather than, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it sort of formalizes it and makes it into a more thoughtful approach, but you're right that everybody is a project manager in one way or another or one way or another and especially in grad school i mean you are your own project manager kind of with maybe a team of one sometimes because you're responsible in some ways only for yourself and your project but yeah. you're getting the foundation and you're learning the foundation of how to keep things on track and that's all really applicable to project management and it's all applicable to um you know kind of the the foundation that they test you on when you go through you know go through the process yeah so then um since this is something that we all kind of subconsciously do what made you decide to actually go into a program and become a formalized project management professional um you know i guess i that's a good question I just wanted to legitimize it, I guess. I It all goes back to kind of always feeling like an imposter in some way or another. And I wanted to make sure that if I was going to present myself as being competent at these, you know, in these task areas, I wanted to make sure that I had kind of the credentials to back that up sure. as a, you know, as a way of making myself feel like I belonged in the room when um, you know, when they said, here's the project manager, I wanted to make sure that nobody could refute that. Um, silly as that may sound. And, and so I just kind of wanted to solidify that. And I think, you know, so I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is, I think, especially as women, we feel that need to say like, no, I'm sorry, you know, man, I belong here too. 
Yeah. I, I belong here. I have the credentials. Yeah. I did the yeah. education. I did the work, you know, and so I, I yeah. see that yeah. and I have every right to be dictating or, or leading this conversation. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But I guess yeah. the other part is, um, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but as academics, we love classes and <laughs> agenda and books and formalized processes. I mean, like, you know, and uh, I, I, yeah. I mentioned, but like when I decided to pursue graduate school, I'm not, not graduate school, my, my business school, um, I had a few people say like, you don't, you don't need to spend the money. You don't need to go to yeah. school. Just buy a book on maybe some of the things that you don't know a lot about or take some <laughs> webinars. And I was like, nope, I need to have like some formalized yeah, I wanna I wanna know that I am as prepared as I can be for this path, right? I wanna I wanna have taken the course and I wanna have been tested on it and I wanna prove that I studied it and that I know it and that you know I am proficient in all of yeah. this. I yeah. No, I, I and I like the way you use that word legitimate, you know, like you wanna be able to say like, no, I am for real. I am legit. Yeah. I have my certification. This is when I got it, you know, and, and, you know, we like to collect letters, you know, you get your first yes, few letters absolutely. after your name and now, now you want more. Yes, for sure. <laughs> it's always the, yeah, it's a competition in our house. I had to have more letters than my husband. Right. So I, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's like a competition at a scientific meeting. Who's got the most ribbons? Exactly. Yes. It all goes down or it all comes down to competition always. I, yeah. I agree. And we like quantifiable things. Yes. So then how long was the program? Like, tell us about the program. Yeah. So it was, well, one thing that I liked about the, um, the, the program is that it's, it can, it looks different for everyone. So, you know, it can be, it's not a program in the traditional sense. Like, you know, when you got your MBA and it's a, defined path. So with getting a PMP, because it's just a certification, it's not a, you know, it's not a degree. Um, you apply to be able to take the test. And so the application involves documenting projects that you've worked on in a certain number of hours and certain areas of project management. And so you have to sort of comb through your past and put together kind of a nice package of, um, you know, what your experience has been so far and you pull that together and then you have to um, take a course, but that can be, you can take it online or it can be a self-taught that, you know, you can kind of pick your own path in that regard. You just have to document that you've taken a certain number of hours of coursework. Um, and so you package that all up and you apply and then the Project Management Institute, the PMI looks at your application and either approves you or denies you for sitting for the exam. And then you um, take the exam and it's, I, I think I tried to block it all out of my memory, but I think it, it's like a four hour exam um, and you are just tested on all of the fundamentals of various types of project management. So agile and uh, traditional project management. And it, it sort of goes into the weeds on a lot of things that you maybe aren't familiar with yet. But um, I had gotten a, you know, a guidebook and worked my way through some practice exams and things like that. So in a lot of ways, not unlike the SAT or the GRE or uh, other tests that we've taken in our lifetime. Um, and so you take the test and then, you know, either pass or fail and then you get certified if you pass. Okay. Was it, um, 
Uh, what was the question for me? Like short answer or multiple choice? It was a mix. So some multiple choice, some short answer, like matching. There was all. So the year that I took it, I took it um, in twenty twenty one, and they had just changed the exam format in I think like late twenty twenty or early twenty twenty one. So when I took it in August of twenty twenty one, it was they were still kind of in this new format. So I think previous to 2020 or 2021, I, that I might not be exact there with the dates, but it has only been in this sort of new format for a few years now. And then prior to that, I think it was maybe all multiple choice, mm -hmm. um, but they've opened it up to kind of have a little bit more different types of questions and different types of, um, you know, formats, it, I guess. So in terms of your timeline, you said you started working with, you were working with a project manager in graduate school, and then you got your certification after graduation, but while you were working at um, Cell Microsystems? I got it while I was at Powered Research. Um, oh, where you were at yeah. Powered Research. Okay. So that was your next job after, yes. after Cell Microsystems, and that's where we met. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, it's funny, going back to, uh, going back to the GRE and some of these other tests, I remember something about what you said jogged my memory. And I was so relieved that when I applied for business school that I would not have to retake the GRE. <laughs> oh my God. Like, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't do that again. <laughs> I know. It's painful. Yes. It was, it is, it is definitely painful. Um, yeah. Okay. So then I guess uh, one last question about the, the program. So then how do you think, mm -hmm. if you think about how you uh, did projects when you were in school versus how you approach them after you got this. Uh, you got the certification. How do those two pathways? Um, how are they similar, and how are they different? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess most of what I learned through the, you know, through my um, sort of training, and then through the coursework that I did, and and studying for the PMP exam, it, it sort of formalized all of the processes that I kind of had an, a maybe a loose understanding of, or was vaguely aware of it, it just sort of cemented some of the framework. So, you know, there are some things that you maybe always want to do when you're initiating a project. And, and so it, it brought some structure to what was otherwise kind of, maybe I didn't recognize the elements of project management that should always be in place. And I kind of just inherently, you know, you're kind of learning on the job and figuring it out as you go and trying to manage it as best you could, whereas post you know, going through the program and getting the certification, it, it, it sort of brought a structure to some of those things so that I was able to apply them in a more rigid way, okay. I guess, if that makes sense. All right. No, that makes, no, I think that makes sense to me. Um, because then I'm thinking about your, your role at project at, um, um, oh my gosh, powered research. Sorry. Uh -huh. Thinking about your role at um, Powered Research, and um, so I guess uh, describe that for me. Like, what, what were you doing there? What was your role after you were done with Cell Microsystems and you got your uh, PMP certification? What, were, what was your next role? Yeah, so I ultimately left Cell Microsystems and joined Powered Research because I wanted to get more experience with project management. So. I, you know, I alluded to having worked with a project manager when I was in grad school and interested in that path. But then at Cell Microsystems, I was a scientist and working my way up there. 
and still doing the bench work. And again, kind of a, you know, one person project management team in that you're responsible for your own work and learning a lot of the fundamentals, but I wasn't, my, my title was not project manager and I wanted to get that experience so that I could have that on my resume and I could formalize that experience because I had recognized that that was the path that I wanted to pursue. And so in joining Powered Research, I knew that that would allow me to sort of, uh, you know, codify that project management. Now I have it on my resume. Now I can be more legitimate when I tell people that I'm a project manager. So when I first joined Powered Research, it was to be a project manager and then also run the business development side of things. So things were really starting to pick up um, at Power Research, which is a, you know, a small preclinical CRO in the area. Things were starting to really pick up because of the timing and the pandemic. And a lot of folks that previously were running their animal work, maybe at universities or elsewhere, were having to find new homes for some of that work because everything was, you know, in flux with, with the pandemic. And so things were really starting to pick up and we were building out the business and moving, preparing to move into a much larger space. And so I was able to learn, again, it, it goes back to always trying to learn new skill sets. So I, I was able to learn the business side of things. I had never worked at a CRO before. I was able to learn that. Um, and I was able to bring some of these project management techniques and practices to my role there and help, you know, bring a little bit of organizational elements to what was you know, what maybe didn't exist previously. Sure. Now, and, uh, you're one of the, I think you're the third or fourth person now, no, I think the fourth who uh, has worked at a CRO. And so um, mm -hmm. this is something that a lot of uh, the students ask me about because they're still interested in bench research, but maybe they want to do it at, um, in an industry rather than, you know, at a university. And um, I mean, I love the, I love the option of having the CRO because you know, if you yourself know, I need to do this experiment in order to get FDA approval, I need to do all of these experiments to get FDA approval yeah. for my product, you know, so I need a lab that can do this, 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 and this, and that's not going to be you, but it's really right. good to have people who have that certification, have that uh, capability, all those specialists on their payroll, yeah. and you can just work with someone like yourself to say, this is what I need to do. And this is going to be, this is what our final, what our final outcomes to be. This is roughly our timeline. This is roughly our budget. And then, you know, we work together to come up with a good approach. Right. You know, that, and, and, um, and I love that concept because again, it just, it, it, as a, as a researcher, you always feel like I need to have all the answers. I need to have and I need to all myself. everything all by myself. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, maybe I can reach out to someone in a different department who has, HPLC or who has that, you know, whatever that behavioral test, you know, yeah. It's, but otherwise I need to do it all myself, but it's really nice mm -hmm. to be able to hand things off to another person Absolutely. and know that there's someone like you who are very well trained in science and very well trained in project management and can say, okay, yeah. I can take this and usher it through the process and yes. get you and we're in good hands and we will do your science well and we will do it yeah. on time and on budget. Yes. It's hard to relinquish control. I think we all have, as humans, we have that problem, but as scientists, certainly it's hard to let go of your baby, so to yes. speak, and give it to somebody else to, you know, to test or run or put it through the paces. And it's always kind of nerve wracking. So 
um, yeah. Out of curiosity, you are you are both a scientist and you have young children. And I, I'm only a scientist. I do not have young children. I, I just have dogs and cats. But um, <laughs> but my my question is like, do you do you find it? Because to me, science those projects always were my baby. You know, like no, no, no mm -hmm. you can't you can't have my baby. That's mine. You know, but yeah. I, I guess in a way, like I, I want to half jokingly ask, is it harder to hand over your scientific baby or is it harder to hand over your real baby to daycare? <laughs> Depends on the day. Yeah, okay. I mean, how, how, how late did they keep me up last night? If so, it's probably easier to hand over your real baby that day. But um, no, I'm joking. I, of course, it's, of course. Um, <laughs> it's a little facetious. It's, it's tough sometimes. I mean, no, it really, when you're, when you've worked on a project for so long and you've seen it through from you know initiation all the way through and you're now somebody's asking you to hand off these last pieces to somebody else to i, I mean, it's it's tough nobody wants to do that you want to see it all the way through yeah, um agreed that's what yeah. we're trained to do yeah agreed so, yeah i guess what other career paths do people with uh project management certifications like what within uh either within science or outside of science what kind of what do they pursue yeah all sorts of things so i have gotten involved recently through duke um they have a project management group that i joined and it's been really interesting to see there are project managers in in all facets of both research and um outside so you know i meet people all the time that say oh i'm a project manager too and then we get to talking and they work in construction or, you know, for the city and they do more kind of urban planning type things or, you know, there's there are project managers in all. In all walks of life, and I think as scientists, again, we just have a really narrow focus and I kind of thought, OK, well, if I'm going to be a project manager, I'm going to be a scientific project manager because that's, that's what I know and that's what I love. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is you could have a PMP certification and you could apply it to just about any type of project that needs to be kept on track and kept on track and you know most importantly on budget i would say most of the time for you know the, the relevant parties they all want to know about it's always the money right but um yeah so the answer is the sky's the limit i guess awesome. i mean you could be a project manager in just about any field so for people who are listening who think you know that that sounds really interesting i mean where what would be some resources that you think like potentially interested parties could start consulting if they would think that they might be interested in pursuing a certification in project management or just the certification in general i would say you know go to the pmi website that's going to be the best resource in terms of just looking through all right here's here are the you know credentials that i or the not credentials but the sort of boxes that i need to check mm -hmm. to be able to apply to take the exam start there and just kind of give yourself a gut check on okay well it says that i need three years of experience and i have one but i'm working towards that just kind of plan ahead in terms of you know when you think you'd be able to you know check all the boxes and and then from there reach out to me on linkedin i'd love to talk to anybody that's interested awesome. in project management but um I would say start at the the PMI website, and and I also don't mean to make it sound like that's the only path. There are there are other certifications in project management. There are agile certifications if you're more involved in software development. Um, there are you know hybrid certifications. There's all sorts of different certifications. I just went with kind of the you know the most widely recognized, I guess, but that you know 
there are other paths beyond just PMP certification. There are lots of options. Yeah. I think the book that I read was called Project Management for the Non-Project Manager. Oh, okay. And I heard about that through um, through the university where I got my uh, business degree, actually. They, um, they It was during COVID, actually. They had like some of these online symposia where, you know, five weeks, a okay. couple hours at a time every week, you know, and uh, they assigned this book and I read it and um, I thought it was really, I mean, I thought it was really interesting because again, it kind of, that might be a good foray if you learn about the process and they kind of break it down in these very, um, like one of the cases that they said were in um, certain, in this one hospital, they wanted to implement, it was either a new hand-washing like rule or something about um there was like uncontrolled staph infections and then they, okay. they they like narrowed it down and narrowed it down and then realized that these infections were probably happening as a result of either doctors weren't washing their hands for long enough or they weren't like you know implementing like an alcohol-based hand rub or something and so mm -hmm. that became like a project that they yeah. took from start to finish like this is how we're going to educate our staff and our nurses and our techs and our doctors and everybody on how um it's going to take you more time, yes, but this is what's going to, you know, be on the other side. And I remember reading that and thinking, you know, okay, now I kind of get it because, again, I'm more of a case-based learner. So mm -hmm. you see something and you say, okay, this is how you can go. This is a, a method to go from uh, point A to point Z. It just okay. put things together a little bit better for me. So. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I've never read that book, but maybe I will now, even though I am a project manager, because it sounds really interesting. And I think something that you just touched on that's really important is to remember that a project is kind of a, I think a lot of scientists think of a project as a very narrowly defined, you know, whether it's a research project or it's a question that you're trying to answer, or it's a, you know, we think of it as a really, finite and tangible mm -hmm. thing but but oftentimes exactly like you just described a project can be a little bit broader it can, it can be more like an initiative that you're trying to or you know or you're trying to bring awareness to something or you're trying to create something and that can also be you know a, a quote-unquote project that can be managed and sort of shuttled through the framework to you know bring it through to fruition, I guess. And it goes a little bit in reverse to what scientists normally think about. You know, like, um, yeah. I think another example that they had in the book was there was a, uh, a faculty member who realized that there were a lot of students who weren't really like speaking um, because they were international students and they just didn't know how to connect with other students. And so like he made his observation and then whittled down to the cause and then created a project around that cause to okay. have the effect, you know? And, yeah, that makes sense. and it was interesting because, you know, normally for us, we make the observation and then we whittle it down to the cause and then we're done. Yeah, move on. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it was interesting to learn like, oh, there's a whole other process after that to yeah. either figure out, you know, okay, so now we know that doctors aren't washing their hands for long enough or they're not using the correct soap or whatever. So now yeah. we have to take that. What are we going to do about it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought yeah. that was, that kind of changed my way of thinking a little bit as someone who, 
again, for me, a project was a PCR reaction and then it was done. Right. You know, yeah. the, the yeah. sheet expression went up or it went down and that was my answer. Yes. Yeah. So then now at Duke, um, what's your, what's your role at the Duke Vac Vaccine Institute? Yeah. So, um, so I've been at Duke for a little over a year um, and I, for the first, up until maybe a month or so ago, my role was um, GMP project manager. So at DHVI, we have, you know, projects that go from the basic research that's being done in the PI's labs. And then, um, you know, it's obviously it's all vaccine-based research. So it is going from the PI and then it's going into animal studies. And then depending on the results, we have a GMP manufacturing facility within DHBI. And so that's where the team that I work on, that's where we come in is helping shuttle the project from, you know, the, the PI's lab through the process of scaling it up and, to, you know, determining whether or not it's manufacturable. And then if it is, you know, actually manufacturing it and then taking, filing it and, and, you know, getting it to the appropriate team so that it can go into clinical trials. Um, that's, that's where we fit into the equation. And so that has been Again, a whole new skill set for me. I vaccine research was new to me when I started. Manufacturing was new to me when I started. The GMP world also new, um, and so that was part of the the rationale on my part for taking the job was to learn all of those skill sets and learn you know learn about the manufacturing world. There's a lot of manufacturing done down here in North Carolina and in our area, and so it's a great skill set to familiarize yourself with. Um, and then recently I have continued doing that. And then I've also, my role has expanded a little bit to include some, um, we have a regional biocontainment lab here at DHVI that does uh, a lot of animal work for some of the PIs that are involved in, in various grant programs. Um, and so I'm helping out with some of the program management aspects of the animal studies and the animal work that's being done within DHVI as well. Wow. So it sounds like you're you're still adding a lot of tools to your tool belt as you go along. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that is always my goal. Yes, I I think that um, I've I have never shied away from learning a new skill set, and if anything, I think it's what has usually been the impetus behind hopping to a new position. Is always if I find myself in a situation where I don't think I'm learning anything else or expanding my skill set, then it's time for me to to find an opportunity where I can continue to learn and grow. Um, because I think as an employer, it's equally, you know, it's equally on you to make sure that your employees are learning and growing. There's more to a job than just doing your your job for money, right? I mean, there has to be, it has to be a two-way street. And if, if you want folks to be happy and stick around, you have to give them opportunities to learn and grow and it benefits like everybody. Especially for people like us, you know, and um, yes. I was a medical science liaison during COVID when there was just no traveling happening at all, you know, and there's only so many journal clubs that you can do with your team there's so many online meetings that you can do with your team you know and after a yeah. while it just gets to be to the point that exactly like you're saying you feel like you're not learning anything anymore you're not expanding anymore and you know for some people they would say well you're collecting a nice paycheck and you're sitting at home like why why is that a bad thing and i don't know for me i hated it 
yeah. if I'm not challenged, if I feel stagnant, then I just, yes. I can't. Remember. Yes. It's the stag. Yeah. Feeling stagnant. That's, that is exactly it. I, I cannot feel stagnant or yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think a lot of scientists are like that. And I say a lot, I keep generalizing a lot of scientists, but I think that what attracts people to science oftentimes is indicative of personality traits that, you know, we tend to have in common. And so I think that a lot of scientists find that they're just allergic to being stagnant and we need more and we need challenging situations and we need pr new problems to solve or new tools in our tool belt to be able to solve the problem next time. Or we want to, you know, constantly, I'm constantly trying to learn how to be more efficient, um, especially since having two kids and, you know, we've got young kids right now. And if we're not ruthlessly efficient with our time, then nothing we can't get from day to day. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago and I was visiting my alma mater and I asked her, how many of the techniques do you use as a PI that you also use on your children? And she, she was yeah. like, oh yes, there's a lot. So many. It's, it's so applicable. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. But you know, I, I, I love that because I feel like a lot of people, at least some of the people that I speak to, they feel like, well, if they're going to go into industry, then maybe they don't have to focus so much on necessarily publications, or maybe they feel like they're, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how the right way to put it, but and I'm not going to say that anyone's laissez-faire about their research or, you know, right. in any way, not serious about their work, but people get this impression that I guess when you go into industry, maybe you only have to be good at a couple of things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then, and then that's that. But I think what you're saying and kind of what I've been trying to say too, throughout all these episodes is that that's not exactly the case that, you know, you always want to learn more and you always want to get better at the, at the things that you don't know about because that's going to make you more marketable and get you up to that next mm -hmm. level and that next level. And it all starts with having this, one inherent curiosity and there's like yeah. insatiable need to learn and yeah. being a little bit restless. Yes. Yes. In a good way. A good I think way. Restlessness can be, if you harness it appropriately, I think it's a great trait to have. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. So then mm -hmm. um, well, do you get, do you get a chance to interview or hire people at all right now? Not in my current role or at least not yet. Okay. No. Okay. Um, in your previous role? In previous roles, yes. Okay. So then what do you look for? I know we talked about this a little bit, but um, just as we're finishing up here, what kind of traits do you look for in an applicant? Always enthusiasm. Okay. Number one, are you enthusiastic? Because I just think that, I just think it's the most important. You can, you can teach just about anybody to do just about anything, mm -hmm. right? It, and within reason, I, you know, I'm not going to teach my toddler how to do open heart surgery, but you can, where appropriate, teach just about anyone to do just about anything job wise. And so I think the most important thing is that you are enthusiastic, that you're going to, because that trickles down to, you're going to show up on time. You're going to have a good attitude. You're going to be excited to be there. You're going to be a good team player. All of that falls under the umbrella of, are you just an enthusiastic and kind of a go-getter personality wise. And then I would say beyond enthusiasm, are you 
willing to put in the work? Are you willing to, you know, to just show up day after day and try to stay organized and try to be a good team player and try to, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, no, roll, roll up your sleeves and get it done. Yeah, just, you know, everybody, every job is, there's a lot of parts of every job that kind of suck sometimes, right? I mean, that's just the reality of being an adult. And so if you're not willing to put in the work to get through the hard parts, then you're never going to reap any benefit from it. And that goes both ways as an employer and as an employee. So totally agree. I love that. So any last words of wisdom or advice or practical things that young chemistry, biology, biochemistry majors could uh, could think about as they're they're in graduate school, any ideas on how they could um, best use their time if they want to pursue a path like yours, for example? Sure, best use their time. I think the biggest piece of advice is just to you know, it sounds so, it sounds cliche, but just try not to have too narrow of a focus in regard to what you think your options are, because you have so many options and you can do and pursue any path that you find interesting. And just because you're in grad school and you're studying, let's say chemistry, because that's where I was, that doesn't mean that your only option is to be a chemist and stay at the bench for the rest of your career. There are, you know, use your, figure out what skill sets you have developed in grad school and what skill sets come naturally to you and what your natural strengths are and figure out how to leverage those into opportunities that you are interested in pursuing. So maybe you're really organized. I've always been really organized. Uh, I've leveraged that into project management. Maybe you're a really great communicator. You can leverage that into a customer facing role at a CRO or, you know, I mean, the possibilities are endless. So don't have too narrow of a focus and and try to, you know, pursue something that you, I'm not going to say pursue something that you're always passionate about, because I don't know that that's realistic for most folks, but pursue something that you are at least interested in you know it doesn't have to light you on fire because that's what hobbies are for and that's what family's for that's what travel's for that's what you know there's other aspects of your life that can and should light you on fire it doesn't have to always be your career so you know find something that you're interested in and figure out how to leverage your skill set to get there I, I love that the last thing I want to say is I actually just had a conversation like that with a friend of mine who um, said that, you know, she doesn't really feel super challenged in her role right now. And she doesn't see a way to continue to grow upwards. And, um, and she asked me, you know, um, particularly with regards to this podcast, she said, well, you know, you're, you're doing the thing, you know, and I, I want to have something that I can do too. And she doesn't feel like she can find it in her job. And I said, well, then join an association, you know, join like a, a women's engineering association or you know get more involved in um your particular field if there's um journal clubs or if there's other things that you can do um to like you say let, light yourself on fire meet new people in that field and grow mm-hmm. upwards and maybe project management certification is another good example because like you said now you're meeting all these other people who are doing urban planning that's fascinating mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. No, it's true. 
Yeah. All right. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Jacqueline Duvall. We, we so appreciate it. It was so good to see you. Thank you so much, Cynthia. This was a lot of fun. And thank you for chatting and this was great. Good. Thank you for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you again to Dr. Jacqueline Duvall for joining me today. Uh, again, that book that I talked about was called The Project Management for Non-Project Managers. And the website that she talked about was the Project Management Institute or PMI, it's probably .com. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and see you next time.